message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. All right, you guys, we have a treat for you today. From our Valley Vegas campus, we have Pastor Doug Lohman, a huge part Huge part of the God story from last week. It's definitely a treat for you guys. Pastor, it's all yours. Thank you, Justin. Uh, Hello, everybody. Good to see you. Wow, full house. I like it. Good to see everybody. I want to say hello to our online guests as well, the different campuses around Valley and just our online friends in general. Moms, how many moms do we have in the house? Stand up. We want to recognize you today. Stand up, moms. Give them a hand. Thank you, mothers. I've been married to my baby mama. It'll be 44 years this November. 44 years I've been married to that gal. Uh, it hasn't always been smooth sailing. I'm going to tell you that. Vicky and I are so different in so many areas. And I heard a saying the other day that is true that before marriage, opposites attract. After marriage, opposites attack. I heard you have a marriage enrichment night coming up on Monday, uh, May 16th, and I want to encourage everybody to try to attend that. Uh, it will be so good for your marriage. You have to invest in your marriage. And, and so, guys, uh, I'll put it on you. Take your lady to that uh, enrichment seminar. Now, I, I'm not here to talk about marriage, uh, but before I get into my teaching, I do want to talk to our single adults for a moment. In fact, by a raising of hands, how many single adults we have here? You, you've never been married. You've been married before or you're widowed. Raise your hands. Take a look around, congregation. That's, that's, that's quite a few people, okay? Take a look around. Let me, let me just uh, say this, that if you're a single person here today, there's a 99% chance that uh, you've either been married, you want to be married, or you aren't opposed uh, to be married if it comes along. The Bible says that there is a gift of singleness, but uh, I've met very few people that have this gifting. Most single adults are in a season of singleness. They're, they're just in that season, and, and that season uh, most likely will pass. So if you're in a place, single adults, to uh, find a mate and you desire that, I'm going to give you three boxes that I believe you need to check. Uh, because uh, it's super important that you find the right spouse. And here, here's those three boxes, okay? Number one, you must be physically attracted to them. You must be physically attracted. Now, I checked that box uh, when my wife was 14 years old uh, over at Pismo Beach. Came around the corner in a fluorescent orange bikini. Asked if I wanted to play football on the beach. Yeah. Let me just say this without getting too graphic. I know we have some kids in here. She was a well-put-together 14-year-old. Let's just, let's just leave it at that, okay? So, so I checked that box uh, at uh, 14 years old. Now, you might be saying, well, wait a second. That, that, that is, is not right. In fact, here's the second box you must check. You must be spiritually equal. 
So you must be physically attracted. You must be spiritually equal. And you say, well, you've got it backwards. You should be spiritually equal first, and then the looks. The looks aren't that important, and that's just not true. You have to be physically attracted. That's the first thing you see. There has to be something that you say, hmm, this has got possibilities. Okay? You could find the next Billy Graham, a spiritual stud, but if you aren't physically attracted to them, you'll probably struggle in your marriage. That's just true. It's, it's just true. Now, when I say spiritually equal, I'm talking about making sure you see two things, okay? One, that they're born again. You need to see evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life. Just because somebody says, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. For some people, being a Christian means they're not Muslim. Or being a Christian means, yeah, I was born in America, but that's not a Christian. A Christian is someone who has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. So you will need to see evidences of that. And so what does that mean? It takes a little bit of time. You know, it, it, please don't put this on your pastors here where you come and say, hey, we want to get married in the church. Okay, well, how, how long have you known each other? Well, we met last week in church, actually. It's been a week now. You've got to observe some time. Make sure you see that they're born again. And they have to have a desire to grow in their faith. Not just, you know, I'm a Christian, but like, I'm good. I just want to camp here. I'm, I'm good. No, you want a growing Christian. And the number three box that you need to check is you must be emotionally and relationally compatible. This doesn't mean you have to be clones of each other. In fact, opposites actually do attract Vicky and I are different in, in so many areas. She has that lion personality, kind of that, Rrr. and I'm more of a golden retriever, just whatever, whatever. She's neat. I mean, she is immaculate, just a good housekeeper, and, and I'm a slob. I, I just, I'm just not neat. She's a perfectionist. I'm a ah, close enough type guy. She's a homebody. She likes to nest. I mean, her days off, or, or her perfect weekend is just to stay home, clean house, watch some murder shows on ID, and, and, and just relax. Me, I'm an explorer. I'm an adventurer. I need to get out. I need to find new horizons to conquer. Uh, but we are emotionally and relationally compatible in the important areas. And that's the key, the important areas. You've got to be on the same page. We are on the same page child raising. When we raise our kids, we are on the same page. Our faith, we both want to grow in the Lord. We both want to have our lives matter for God. So we were on, on the, uh, that same page. Uh, our love of sports. Thank the Lord I've got a wife. My wife loves football, watching football more than I do. Sorry, husbands. My wife will watch it all day Saturday college and all day Sunday NFL. Now, being emotionally and relationally compatible means Here's the key thing. You enjoy spending time with each other. You have to enjoy spending time with each other, okay? So uh, anyway, for, for you singles, I want to give it to you. In fact, uh, singles, stand up for a second. Let me see. I couldn't see it was dark out there. Let me see how many single adults we have here. How many single adults we have here? Stand up, single. You've been widowed, never been married, previously married. Stand, come on, stand up. Play the game with me. Stand up here. Christy Hollis, sit down. You're, oh, that's not your daughter. Okay. Not, not if you want to be single, if you are actually single. Okay, hey, I'm doing you a favor, okay? This is saving you from going to Match.com. Take a look around here and see, what, see what's in the market here. All right, you can sit down. Thank you, singles. I work out. You know, you can't tell. I just try to do it just as I'm break down if I lift up a box or something. And I face serious temptation every time I go to the gym. I'm just being honest with you. It has to do with the fragrance. 
I'll, I'll smell that fragrance and I, I get to the point where I'm, I'm lusting and it's bad. No, I'm not talking about the girls in the gym. Get your minds out of the gutter. I'm talking about when I get out of my truck and the, and the smell from the donut shop just blows over. <laughs> I'm serious, like, oh my gosh. And it's just, oh, I'm hungry and, and man, I'm just right there. I, I'm just right there. I could just go there and, and I don't, but I want to. James nailed, I'm going to talk about temptation today. James nailed it in his epistle. James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. By his own lust. See, and this is important for you to know, especially you young Christians, it's not a sin to be tempted. You can't help the thoughts that come in your mind. So it's not a sin, like, oh, man, I just, I just thought about this all day. That's, that's not, you know, you're not held accountable for that. Now, when the temptation comes, you know, the movie begins to play, don't go buy a bucket of popcorn and sit back and let it run all day, okay? We, we have to, now we're responsible. When the temptation comes, what are we going to do with it? And one of the things you can do with it is you can call out to the Lord because, believe it or not, Jesus Christ knows what it's like to be tempted, he, he knows exactly what you're going through. No, no, he does. Why do I know that? Because the Bible says that. Hebrews 4.15, look at this. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. What does it say? They're tempted in all things as we are. Every single temptation that you and I have faced, he's faced, and probably more. Now, I believe this verse is referring to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness by Satan right after his baptism. Forty days out there with the devil. In Matthew chapter uh, 4, I'm going to be reading from there, but basically right after his baptism, this, it says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, let Jesus in the wilderness. Forty days. And I, I was talking with Vicky, and I said, do you think that... There was only three temptations, because that's all we have recorded in Matthew's account. Did he only get tempted three times? And we both said, nah, how could, how could Hebrews 4.15 be true? He's been tempted in all things as we are. So I'm sure the three that we're going to talk about today are just the ones that are recorded, but I'm sure Satan threw everything at him, trying to get him to fall. Now, reading through this event again, I discovered something that I've never seen before, and it really tipped the devil's cards. And we're going to learn something today. We're, we're going to find out uh, what is behind his temptations, what he's trying to do, what he's appealing to in us. And I think we're going to be stronger. I think we're going to be able to face temptation better by learning this. When Jesus answered the three temptations we're going to look at today, he answered and he began his answer with, it is written. Remember, it is written. What he's doing is he's quoting a portion of a sermon that Moses preached to the Hebrews who had come out of Egypt into the promised land. I'd never seen that before. I never made the connection. And again, the response revealed the intent of Satan's temptation. So I'm going to take a look at these things. Here's, here's the first one. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Here's the first temptation recorded. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. 
And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. A very familiar passage for us. It's been discovered that hunger pains will disappear about the five to seven day mark of a fast. I'll be honest with you, I've never fasted that long. I, I think two days, day and a half is, is, is my max. I just, I just haven't fasted that long. But they say five to seven days, uh, uh, the hunger just subsides. It doesn't return again until about the 35th to the 40th day. All of a sudden, man, at that point, you're just hungry. In fact, uh, doctors say that your body is literally starving at this point and that you need to feed it right away because if not, you're on the verge of having your organs begin to fail. And it's at this point, I think it's interesting, right near the end of the 40 days, that's when Satan comes at Jesus, when he's the hungriest, when he's famished, when his, his body, his human body that he took on for us, is just saying, i got to eat something here. I am famished. I'm going to die here. And Satan says, okay, I, I got him. I got him very vulnerable. I got him in a place where he'll give in to this thing. And Jesus' answer, that man won't live by bread alone, goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Here's what those verses say. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. I hope I gave it to you. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply. Again, this is Moses talking to the Hebrews as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Why? That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that, and here it is, here's what Jesus quoted, that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God, through Moses, was saying to the people, do you trust me to take care of you when circumstances look bleak? That's what he was saying. Do you trust me? Are you only going to serve me when everything is just hunky-dory? Or are you going to take matters into your own hands when I don't answer your prayers immediately or how you expected me to? Are you going to grow impatient with me? Are you going to say, you know, obviously God's not listening to my prayers. I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll, I'll step in there. Will you then, using your own problems or own power, try to solve your problems or, or meet your needs? Here's what Satan was trying to do, and here's what you need to understand when you're tempted. In this manner, Satan was trying to get Jesus to doubt God's care for him and tempting him to use his powers to provide for himself. That's what that was about. God, God's not going to take care of you, man. Why are you so hungry for? Hey, you, you can do it, man. Turn these stones into bread. You have the power. Do it. Don't wait on God. God's busy taking care of Doug Loman. You don't, you don't have time to, to wait for God. He's, he's preoccupied. But see, God knows something about us, and that is that having our physical needs met really doesn't bring the satisfaction we crave so badly. I mean, to go ahead and meet our needs on our own terms, yes, that need is met, but it's going to leave a hole in our soul. And that's what the Samaritan woman 
discovered. This story in John 4, let me just paraphrase it for the sake of brevity. Uh, Jesus stops at a well, talks to a Samaritan woman, which is unheard of for a Jew. Jesus had talked to a Samaritan, a half-Jew, very uh, prejudiced in those days. And Jesus says, hey, give me a drink of water. And, and uh, she says, oh, I wish I had some water. And Jesus said, if, you know, if you knew the, who you're talking to, you would ask and I'd give you some real water. In fact, uh, John 4, 13 and 14 uh, is put this way. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water at the well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And here's what the Lord is saying. He's saying that living only to satisfy your physical needs is not enough to sustain you. You need to have this spiritual hunger satisfied. And that's done by doing the will of God. That's what truly sustains and satisfies. And Satan tempted Jesus to say, hey, don't worry about the future. Take care of right now. Just, just, just compromise your values for the sake of satisfying your hunger. And that's what the enemy does. He just tries to get us to focus just on our immediate, physical, felt needs. Don't worry about the consequences. Don't worry what this is going to do to your family. Don't worry how this is modeling something bad to your children. Just do it right now. And Jesus knew, and, and we need to learn from him, that trying to satisfy our needs in a wrong way leaves us hungrier and unhappy. It'll leave us hungry and unhappy. He says, you know what? Hey, man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by everything that God says. I, I will continue to trust God. God hasn't let me down yet, and I don't see him letting me down now. Next, I clap on that one for sure. Amen. Next, Satan comes to Jesus at a different angle in this second temptation. Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, devil trying to use scripture. Funny. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan is now saying, okay, Jesus, you say you trust in God's word, right? Okay. Then throw yourself down. I mean, I just, I just quoted it to you. God's word says he'll send angels and they'll swoop in before you hit the ground and rescue you. And Jesus answers and says, ah, ha, ha. Number one, I don't have time, but he's twisting scripture here, the devil. He's twisting it. Jesus says, ah, let, let, me, yeah, let me give you another one. Let me give you the real deal here. Deuteronomy 6, 16. This is what Jesus answered. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Ah, there's the key. What happened at Massa? Why would Jesus use this verse? It has something to do with an incident that happened at this place called Massa. Well, it refers to an incident that's found in the book of Exodus uh, 17, verse 1. Let's read a few verses. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel, they journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin. That doesn't even sound like a good place. According to the command of the Lord, encamped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. 
And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do to this people? A little more and they'll stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah, because the quarrel of the sons of Israel, because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's the key phrase there. God, are you here or aren't you here? Although the Hebrews had seen God use miraculous plagues to free them from Egyptian bondage, and he saw them literally part an ocean. The, the, the Red Sea stopped. The water stopped 19 miles above. And, and, and uh, it, it, it stopped. The Jordan stopped the Red Sea, and, and, and they were able to cross. He provided manna from heaven, this, this dew-like substance that had never seen before. They would collect in the morning and eat. And he did all those things, and yet they still didn't fully trust God. And they said, is God for us or not? Is God for us? And if he is, then why are we thirsty? How come we're going through a difficult time? If God is really our protector and our provider, how come we're going through a testing time? How come we're going through a, a time of, of drought? How come we're going through some lean times? I, I thought God was God. I thought God was our Father. We need him to do another miracle. If we're really going to be able to trust him, then, then we, we need another miracle. Is God for us or not? I, I need to see one more miracle. Satan's temptation to Jesus was trying to get Jesus to doubt God's care for him and have God do a miracle, give a sign to prove himself. It's saying to God, basically, what have you done for me lately? You parents can relate to this, how God must have felt. Isn't it frustrating, parents, if you commit a whole day or a whole week into your kids when they were younger, if you're done parenting like us, or if you're in the middle of it, and my gosh, you spend a buku amount of money and energy and trying to make their day fun and then you just put one thing that they want to go oh, can we go over and get ice cream no no we don't have time for that oh we never do anything fun i'll beat you <laughs> i spent three hundred dollars lost probably a year off my life we don't do anything fun ungrateful little and, and that's really the picture of us. I mean, it's, it's really sad. And I'm right, I'm right there with you. There's times when, you know, I, I'll look up and I, I start doubting God's goodness and, 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 you know, tempted to complain. Say, why? Look at all he's done for you all these years. What would your life be without God? And now you're going you're gonna to doubt him? Oh, my goodness. Jesus said these words come from an ungrateful and unbelieving heart. He spoke about that in Matthew 12. When Jesus said to Satan that we're not to test the Lord, he was saying, Satan, God doesn't need to prove himself again to me. I, I don't need, like, you unbelievers. In fact, uh, Jesus said that it's an unbelieving and evil generation who seeks after a sign. He goes, I, I don't need that. 
I, I don't need a fresh little Holy Spirit goosebumps and God to do a miracle and for, for something to happen. Oh, I believe in God again. And then every time something uh, bad goes down, oh, I'm down. I, I don't need that. God's proven himself to me. And then the last temptation of Satan. It doesn't tempt us to doubt God's provision for us or his protection over us, but it gets us or attempts to get us to doubt his promises made to us. Not doubting God's provision, not doubting God's protection, but doubting the promises that God has made to us. That's the third temptation. We see that in verse 8 of Matthew 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Satan said to him, go, Satan. Here it is. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This reply of Moses' sermon is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse 10. It begins. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and you're satisfied. Then watch yourself, watch yourself, that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. There it is. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. Jesus. Here's the point. That he's making to Satan from these verses in Deuteronomy. Jesus was promised by his father that the kingdoms of this world would be given to him and that they would be attained by him going to the cross. One day, this corrupt, vile world that we live in, one day, this world will have a Finally, a righteous ruler who will rule from Jerusalem. He'll be the perfect priest. He'll, thank you, Hector. He'll be the perfect political leader. He'll be something we've never seen before. That is in a, a period called the millennium. All the kingdoms will be given to Jesus, but they're attained by him going to the cross. That's how, we, that's how he would get it. Colossians 1, verses 13 and 16 tells of that. It says, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness. How many of you have been rescued from darkness like myself? You know what? If God doesn't do anything else for us, that's good enough, right? Brought us out of our addiction. Brought us out of our pain. He doesn't have to do anything else for us, but he does. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. When, when you see Jesus in the Bible, that's God. What, what is God like? Watch Jesus. The firstborn of all creation. Here it is. For all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and what? For him. 
This is his planet. This is his earth. We are his people. And one day we're going to see the realization of that when he comes back here. How many of you looking forward to that day? I can't wait. I'm done with this world. I'm over it. Satan was tempting Jesus by saying, you say God wants to give you the people and kingdom of this world. He says, you know what? And, and you're saying that the cross is the way. Hey, Jesus, I can give what you want and you don't have to go to the cross. That's the temptation. Hey, see all these kingdoms? They're mine, Satan says, and they are temporarily. Man forfeited his rule over this earth in the Garden of Eden when he sins. Satan has temporary you know, rule here, but eventually that'll be pulled back. I can give it to you now, Jesus, and guess what? You don't have to go to the cross. Do you realize what crucifixion is like, Jesus? Man, you don't want to do that. Here, man, it's yours. All you got to do is just take a knee. Take a knee and acknowledge me. That's all you got to do. He, he tried that again with Peter and Caesarea Philippi. When Peter uh, was told Jesus, and Jesus said, hey, guys, three days, I, I'm going to die. I'm, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. And Peter said, pulled him aside and said, hey, no, Lord, no, it, it's not going to go down like that. No, that, you don't want to do that. Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. You have your interests on man, not on God's interests. See, the cry of the flesh, the cry of the flesh is always spare yourself. Take the easy way out. Satisfy me. Put fulfilling the cry of your flesh above the will of God. That's always the cry of the flesh, and that's what Satan is tempting Jesus to do, and that's what he'll tempt us to do, to receive the promises of God in an illegal, unlawful way. That, that's what is behind a lot of the things that you struggle with, things that I used to struggle with. You that are still using drugs, you know what you're trying to find? You're trying to find the peace of the Holy Spirit. But you're just going about it in an unlawful, illegal way. Oh, I just need to get high. I'm too stressed out. I just need a couple glasses of wine and take the edge off. Well, the Holy Spirit's that will give you the, the, the real lasting peace. The way of the cross, it's dying to ourselves. It's not looking to other gods or other ways to receive God's promises. And I, I need to finish with this. I was a husband and wife. They were shopping together at a mall when a shapely young woman in a short, tight-fitting dress walked by. The husband's eyes followed her, and without looking up from the item she was examining, the wife said, was it worth the trouble that you're in? <laughs> See, the price of giving in to a temptation is never worth the benefit it gives. When we are tempted, when we are tempted, when Satan whispers his lies to us, we're tempted when we live according to our flesh's desires rather than being led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you in closing, I can't go into it real long, but let me just give you four ways not to give in to temptation. Here's the first one. Pray. Pray. Oh, man, I, I'm embarrassed, man. I'm, uh, I don't, I've been thinking bad thoughts. I, may, I might have actually even entered into this sin. No, just stop and pray. To who? Jesus. Why would I pray to him? Because it says that he's been tempted just like you are. You don't think that the previous 39 days in that wilderness temptation, you don't think that Satan threw every sexual temptation at Jesus? He was a man. Don't you think he threw everything you can imagine? He probably had drugs and dealers there. and, and he, every, I'm serious. 
I'm serious. Every temptation was there. So go to him and say, Lord, I need help. I'm, 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 just being honest. I'm struggling. You know I am. God, help me. Please help me. Show me what to do. Secondly, speak truth to lies. The, the temptation is a lie. It, it's, it's a counterfeit to try to find peace. Just like Jesus, it is written. Speak truth to it. Number three, learn to be content. Often temptation is, is you know, if you do this, you'll have more. Or if you do this, you'll be better off. Now, just learn to be content with where you're at. Just, just don't get into this thing where you, you I got to have more. I need, oh, you're, you're prone for temptation. And then lastly, look for the exit door. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we know that verse. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he'll provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Nobody can say, I had no choice, man. I just had to fall. No, there was a door there. You just chose not to walk through it. Let's be honest. When we sin, it's like, you know, I, I can blame no one but me. There was a way out. I just didn't take it. An old country doctor <clears throat> is confronted by a patient who said he broke his arm in two places. And the doctor, old country doctor, just thought for a second. And he says, well, then stay out of them places. Broken two places, stay out of them places. The best way to escape temptation is to stay out of them places. You young believers, you have to, to change your habits. You can't hang around the same crowd. You can't be going to the same places. For some of you, you can't keep listening to the same music. For some of you, you can't keep watching the same shows. Uh, for some of you, you, you just, you, you, you just got to break your habits. You, you got to form new ones. You need to start coming to in-person services on a regular basis. You need to volunteer. Why? Not because the church needs you, which all churches need volunteers, but you need to volunteer. You need to, you need to meet people. You need to connect with people. That's how you form new friends. Friends that are moving the same direction as you. So, so you need to change some things. You've you got to put off the old and put on the new. By doing that, it just eliminates a lot of temptation. You, you can't hang around the old crowd. Eventually, you're going you're to fall prey to it. Temptation. We can survive it. We can make it. But we have to put some things into practice. Okay? All right. You ready to go out and be stronger this week? All right. Devil tipped his hand to us. He tipped his hand in this temptation of Jesus. We, we, we saw some of his, his schemes. Let's pray this. Father, Lord, thank you that Jesus went through that 40-day period in the wilderness. And it had to be horrific. Had to be horrific. And yet, he made it through. And now, when we go to him in prayer, he knows what we're going through. Thank you, Lord, that, that we also saw some of the intent of the enemy trying to get us to doubt God's care for us, trying to get us to meet our own needs in, in our own ways, trying to get us not to trust the promises. We have promises of God. Oh, God, please help us to always remember that there's always a gap of time between the promise of God and the fulfillment of God. There's normally always a gap of time. Help people to just understand that and just accept that as normal. That way they won't lose patience. That way they won't get discouraged. If there's people here, Lord, who don't know you, the Holy Spirit's not inside of them. They, they've never acknowledged their sin. 
they've never understood that Jesus died for their sin, that they're a sinner. And that if they stay in the state that they're in, when they die, they'll die in that state, that state of being separated from God. And they'll be separated from eternity by God. But if there's something, God, inside of them right now, and I pray, Lord, that you just let your spirit move upon every unbelieving heart, every unbelieving heart. And if you want to give your life to Christ today, I'm, ta I'm talking walk with him. I'm talking mean business. I'm talking changing your life. I'm talking repenting from the way you're living. If, that's, if you're ready for that, then I'd love to lead you in a prayer. I'd be honored to lead you in a prayer. And if you want to, to say an amen to that prayer, then, then you can. Here, here's that prayer. Father God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I know I'm not living how I should be living. And I confess my sin today, and I want to live for you. I can't do it on my own. I, I need help. Would you come inside of me? Would you change me? I give you my life today. I mean it, God. I mean it. I'm, I'm going to live differently today. So, Lord, I give my life to you today, and I'm going to leave here different. Thank you, God. Amen and amen. If you made that decision, tell somebody before you leave here today. Tell your spouse. Tell a friend. Tell someone that I gave my life to Jesus today, okay? Other than that, God bless you. Uh, be extra nice to moms today, okay? This is their big day. God bless you. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our king.